If you would like to support the podcast and get some extra content while you're there, head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast and sign up. From the rewatch to the Q&A, we will have loads of content every week. So sign up, patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. And now, here's the podcast. Graham McDonald is an idiot. Sean Sheehan of severemma.com. He even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god. This is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome to the Severe MMA podcast. Here's your host, Sean Sheehan. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 452 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan, master of sport in MMA judging according to to the wonderful John Anik. <laughs> the pod god, the, 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 the legend, the king, joined today by uh, Canada's finest MMA journalist, the pride of Gores Bridge in County Kilkenny. Is Gores Bridge right? Is that correct? That's it. Spot on. Gores Bridge. Um there's another bridge called Bennis Bridge in Kilkenny yes. as well I believe yeah, and uh, Kilkenny itself uh, not a great old time for Kilkenny at the moment though Jeez, you lost you know the, the club final today you lost the All-Ireland final but sure you're getting there I was wondering there. why you were bringing it up <laughs> you're getting there though you're not your club though so it doesn't really doesn't matter to you but anyway no but <laughs> when you get to that stage you want to uh, you want you want the Kilkenny team to be in but it was an outrageous point oh there to what a point for St. Thomas Jeez. yeah it was ridiculous the club Harland has been unbelievable this year like that Bally Gunner game yeah. as well I got the I got the I didn't see it all but I got the in I was like oh my god fuck it anyway we'll, uh, we'll have to we'll have to do a Harland podcast I was at a, I was at a live Harland podcast last night and it was absolutely brilliant to do that made me want to do more but anyway we will uh talk about some mma today and honestly okay we're we're, we're just here the day after ufc 297 um one of the most um action-packed events while being one of the worst events at the same time there was a lot of like and when i say action there was like fouls and was it a foul and decisions like was it a win was it a win was it a robbery was it not a robbery uh was it a good fight was it a bad fight <laughs> it, was, it was just a very eventful night with a lot of things that happened uh but overall i think the main event was was a brilliant fight we, we have it down in our nominations for fight of the year but apart from that, Ian, uh, you know, obviously you're based over in Canada now. You you have a kind of uh, a better grasp of the Canadian fans and myself, and obviously most of the people listening to this, that if they if they're in Ireland or in the UK or or maybe even even America, it's they, it's been, they've been a long time waiting for the cards to come back. And obviously we had one before Christmas and this one as well. It's tough for them, isn't it, to have a card like this that was okay on paper, not great on paper, but then just you know it just did not deliver last night, did it? <laughs> No, it didn't really, to be honest. Look at and the last one that we did have here was UFC 189 in Vancouver. I was there and, you know, on paper as well. Look at we, we, what? 289. 
two eight or two eighty nine. Sorry, yeah, two eighty nine. Excuse me. <laughs> on paper, that was um, not the greatest greatest card either. But what we did get on that night was a lot of Canadian wins and and kind of that built momentum throughout that card. They're shaping up for this in Toronto as well. Look at the reception of the fans. The energy in the arena was unbelievable. The energy and all of the kind of press conferences, weigh-ins was unbelievable all week. But uh, the card didn't deliver. And look, we always kind of come on here and judge a card on paper but it's very hard to do a property until the card actually happens itself now after everything has been said and done i think overall the card wasn't great um they didn't get the results for canadian mixed martial arts that we would have wanted only for the the two women they would have been without a win for canadian mixed martial arts all night so that I, i think the men went seven and or zero and seven for the night as well it was not a great night um and, you know, all of those things accumulate. But like you said, the main event was was very intriguing and a very tactical and a fantastic fight overall, in my opinion. Um, and and the rest is kind of a lot to be desired. A couple of talking points here and there. But, you know, for the fandom, for the buzz, for the hype, you know, I would hope that these Canadian cards will start getting a little bit better. Like, we need to go at least without a women's bantamweight title fight on the yeah. card, at least for once, you know, <laughs> because once, yeah. we had it in Vancouver. We had it years and years. Oh, look, we were very lucky at the time, you know, that we got to see Amanda uh, Nunes and, and Valentina Shevchenko compete uh, to one, one, two of the greatest women in, in the history of mixed martial arts, um, you know, but still that fight was a close fight. And, you know, I remember being down as a fan in that, in that arena in Edmonton and kind of, you know, you weren't hyped after that fight, you know, it was kind of a little bit of a close tactical affair that didn't really capture the imagination. And, you know, we kind of experienced something similar last night in Toronto in terms of, you know, the energy in the crowd early was fantastic, but the mixture of results and, and strange things happening and and other things and just simply not great fights as well throughout the card. Uh, yeah, that was it more. Yeah, it, it just killed the crowd. It, it killed did, the crowd yeah. altogether. So it, did. It, it did. For like, I think you, you, you said that well. There's two clear points, I think. I think the first point you made there, or the, the, the last point you made there is the first point I'll make. Like, it was more so the fact that the fights weren't great that brought the crowd on, and that was unfortunate for the crowd. And not the crowd that brought the crowd down. The crowd were, were cheering all night and were, were better than most crowds would be, I suppose. But just they had a bad card, and that was that. The Canadians losing is... I think the Canadians losing is a different one because they were still... Roaring hard and supporting their Canadians until Mike Malat lost, you know. So uh, we've had it here in Ireland as well, where the crowd have, and we we haven't had one as bad as this. Where literally, like, uh, you know, the what, what was it, uh, two and seven? We haven't had one that bad, but we've had a good few losses. And I, I wouldn't like. I, I think Canadian MMA people or people watching Canadian MMA think, "Oh Jesus, it's on a very low ebb. It's very bad." But there's a lot of Canadian MMA fighters that are good that were on this card that lost. They'll win their next fight and win the fight after that. So I wouldn't be as down on Canadian MMA um, after this as maybe the results would suggest. You know, they got unlucky in a couple of fights and you know tough matchups in another couple of fights. I'd be more down on like just the card itself not being great. But we will uh, we will get past that. But that's you know we always kind of start off with how was the card was it good even if you have a couple of bad fights and the Canadians come out as winners and that, that does helped. add to a little bit to yeah. the magic as well and I think 
you know, I kind of was lucky to experience that at 289 in Vancouver and, and you know, just didn't work out that way as well. But look at the Toronto fans are unbelievable. They, they I've, I was at UFC 206 um, way back in 2016 and the atmosphere that the crowd produces in Toronto, it's different. It hits different. Um, and they're really hungry and knowledgeable fight fans over there. So unfortunately, they didn't get the results that they might have been wanting or maybe the night they would have been wanting. <sighs> but what they did get, maybe a good segue, is a, a fantastic main event, Johnny. They didn't need... One thing before we get to the main event. If you're at a fist fight and you're chanting about politics, you're the world's biggest nerd. Whether it is, whether you're chanting anti-left or anti-right or pro-left or pro-right or whoever, you are the world's biggest fucking nerd. Why, why is it cool now to like politics? And to ch- oh, shut the fuck up with your politics shit. Like, can I just go on and say that, please? I'm sure there's a lot of people at home who are like, oh, what are they saying there? And then you see it online or whatever, and like, oh, okay. You're chatting about some yeah. random fucking Canadian politician that the vast majority yeah, of the world... Not random, he's not about. a random politician. He's, he is, no, he's, he's, ra- he's random to most of the world. Like, most of the world don't yeah. give a shit about it. Imagine if we were chatting here about fucking Michal Martin or something. <laughs> Get you on in, in fucking America. <laughs> I give a shit. Like, just like, just give over. Like, and even if it isn't, if it is, you know, I know, and I know what Trudeau is, whatever. But like, if they're talking about... Trump, if they're talking about fucking Michal Martin, if they're talking about whoever, fuck off with your politics shit in the middle of a sport. Why, when fucking Chris Curtis and Mark Andre Barriot are, are fighting, are you fucking chanting about the fucking Prime Minister? Shut up, you bunch of fucking nerds. Absolute stupid fucking idiots. Every single one of them. Fuck them people. Right, let's get on to the main event. <laughs> Why do people like? Why do people care about politics so much? Like, I am a very strong supporter of ignoring everything that happens in politics. To be honest, uh, like, and why are so there's many people now? Around, there's a lot of tough times around a lot of places right now, and when there is tough times, people do kind of look at the people who are running stuff. So you know, that's why I think we're probably in. You know, from what I can remember, the biggest turmoil that we've ever existed in when it comes to kind of like people falling out with governments and belittling governments and obviously Trudeau is not very popular in Canada overall and last night to hear those chants coming from uh, the Ontario province was uh, you know probably the final nail in his coffin bunch of nerds uh, when it comes to politics he's a nerd at, too if you're involved in I don't want to get I don't want you to turn on me no, if oh, you're nerdy <laughs> You're all a bunch of fucking nerds. We're, 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 like, I can't imagine that. I agree. I, like, I, oh. It's entertainment. You just want to go go watch the fights and cheer, yeah. cheer some good shots, cheer some good fights. But maybe <laughs> maybe the fact that they didn't have any good fights to cheer might be... Yeah, maybe, that, okay, that, maybe that's fair enough. Anyway, <laughs> I just... like, And it's funny. Like, They're the same people who say, oh, we need to separate politics from sports. It's like, yeah, do. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm very much in favor of, of that. On, on, and, you know, unless it seeps into it so much that we can't fucking ignore it. Anyway, let's, let's yeah, talk but about it. you know what? Now. When we were trying to look at UFC last time at 286, we we're getting that shit shoved down our necks yeah, from Cody, we Gard, are, yeah. uh, Cody, Cody Colby Covington and everything like that. You know, I'm the same as you. I want, like, my sports for entertainment and you separate all that kind of stuff. And But, you know, when the UFC are actively given a, a platform to guys like Colby Covington and to Sean Strickland who are very outspoken on, you know, what... M- you know, modern politics maybe should look like. I mean, it's very hard at that stage to escape from it. For, it is for indeed. Being, now, here, so. here's one thing, right? So Trump was there recently at, at it, right? And I I understand if someone is sitting there cage side and they show him on screen 
and you're chatting at him, right? Whether it's anti or pro him, right? That's fair enough, right? I, I understand that people are going to naturally do that, right? Um, but the stuff last night just bringing up randomly out of nowhere, I thought it was like, oh my God, this is, this is just fucking ridiculous. Like, and that's, you know, if it was the other way around, I'd say it the same way. I just hate all politics. Let, let's talk a little bit about what you mentioned there, the quality thing and the Sean Strickland thing. I was talking, I don't I think, maybe it was a podcast we did or maybe it was the q and I can't remember. I think the big difference between Colby and Sean Strickland, I, didn't call, I, don't, I don't think Colby is like political per se. I just think he's a fucking idiot, to be honest. Or uh, did I say Colby there? Strickland. I think Strickland's just a fucking idiot. Like what Colby is, mm-hmm. Colby has put on a character for five or six years and he's preyed on stupid people basically and they're all like oh kobe one of us yay we're big fans of kobe and you know he's like oh america kobe couldn't give like kobe doesn't believe any of the shit maybe he's marking out for his gimmick a little bit but it is a gimmick like it's a hundred percent a gimmick i'm gonna be this maga guy i'm gonna smile i'm gonna be like he doesn't believe half of that for sean strickland i just i just think sean strickland He's look. He's definitely putting on a gimmick. He's definitely playing up there. But he, what he, the difference between him is right and Colby. Colby's preying on stupid people. Sean Strickland is is echoing the worst people in society. And what I mean by that is he's talking about stabbing someone. He's talking about shooting people. He's talking about. You know, if my son was gay, I'd hate him, and all of this stuff. He's talking about putting women back in the kitchen. Like, this is not politics to me. This is not uh, taking a stance one way or the other. This is a horrible, horrible cunt. And if you're a fan of a horrible cunt and you agree with this horrible cunt, then what does that make you? Also a horrible cunt. So all he is doing is literally unmasking these people who are also horrible cunts to show themselves as horrible cunts and go, if you could be a horrible cunt, Sean, so can we. And that's all he's doing here. Whereas I do, I do think Colby was a little bit different. Like Colby was literally just preying on stupid people. But the people that Strickland is giving a voice, not, not even giving a voice to, but like leading are just horrible cunts. Now, like I've heard a few things about Strickland. Like he's a really nice guy. And if you train with him and all and all of this. So I do believe, I do believe a good bit of it is an act, but that doesn't matter. He's a fighter. He's a human being. This is not WWE. This is not a film. We don't need to separate reality from uh, from non-reality. He's just a horrible, horrible person. And then, for you know, people were happy, me included, that he lost last night because I don't like. I don't think Duplessis is the nicest person in the world either, if I'm being honest. But to have Sean Strickland as a leading light in our sport was not good for the sport. Really, really not good for the sport. And you could like you could even see a little bit of that in Dana White. You could see a little bit. Even he knew it. You could tell that he was like, well, oh, are we going to do a rematch? No, we're not going to do a rematch. There was, there was definitely a bit of that with him. And, we, and people listen to this as well. And you're probably tuning in here to listen to this to me talk about the scores and Ian talking about the scores and talk about the goings of it and all. But we can't ignore this. You can't ignore this. When people, As well, the, the question was asked by Alexander Kelly in the press yes. conference about what Sean Strickland said. And people said, you shouldn't put that in the press conference. Sean Strickland was wearing a t-shirt that said, put every woman back in the kitchen and put a gun in every man's hand or something to that effect. He has said these things in press conference before. He has said these things in MMA interviews before. What is a press conference there? It's a press 
conference. The press are there to ask their questions, whatever questions they want. If the press wants to go out and write an article about, I, I've gone, I've gone to a press conference before and asked like a technical, tactical question because I wanted to know that for a preview we were doing or for the post fight or whatever it might have been. Or you can go in and ask a question like this because you want to talk about Sean Strickland and that sort of way. Does he truly believe this? Is he going to stand behind this under questioning? Is he going to only do this when he's talking to that dirty, rotten shill Nina Dram or whatever the fuck her name is? Is he only going to do it then? Or is he going to do it when someone actually stands up and talks to him and questions him? And we saw the last day, he didn't. He backed down. He started crying and he started roaring about something else. Look at Dana White. When he was questioned about it, he just completely changed the subject. He took one word that the reporter said and, oh, you're going to leash? Who's on the leash? What are you talking about leashes? Leash, leash. And then he didn't answer the question at all. Reporters need to be there. They need to be... Uh, and fair play, to, there was two or three different reporters asked. Could they have pushed a little bit more? Yes, but the way those press conferences work, where they pull the microphone off you, it's, it's very hard, trust me, to actually get to do it, not just to do it itself. But it, those questions need to be asked. Those things need to be talked about because these people are public, public figures. They speak about it in public. They speak about it as part of our sport. And we are here talking about our sport. What's good for it, what's bad for it, everything. And that is part of the story. No shadow of a doubt about it. Ian, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I think you're spot on, really. There's not too much I'd have to add. It's like, it's. I think it comes down to accountability of what you say out of your mouth. And if you're going to be accountable enough to say those things, you have to answer those questions about it. And, you know, people might come back and say it's things about freedom of speech, but, you know, your freedom of speech is asking those kind of questions that Alex asked John Strickland. He had every right to do so as well. Um, in some ways, I didn't really kind of get into too nitty gritty, but like I kind of, you know, after Colby lost his fight to Leon Edwards, he came back and he wasn't portraying his character. And I kind of yeah. forced him to a little bit by asking him if he was going to contest the decision. Which he did. Uh, like, <laughs> which he did. And yeah, maybe I gave him the idea. But do you know what? Look, maybe I was a little bit too much in my feelings after everything that happened that week. But I, my thought, like there's always, you don't ask questions just for the sake of asking questions i like to think that you know i'd have some meaning behind some of my questions and my meaning behind that question to colby that i asked forced him back into the character that he didn't want to play after losing a devastating defeat for the title and against leon edwards and you know he, he hesitated he did this and then he went into character again but if you're going to put on those boots You've got to keep on those boots all the time. You can't choose when to portray your character and you can't choose when to get angry about stuff that you've said in the past. And fair play to Alex for asking the question. That's all I'd have to say. And uh, just one last thing for me on this and we'll get to the fight and the scoring and all that. Dana White said, the reporter, I, th I think he was uh, referring to, to Alexander, if I'm not mistaken, but he said the report, or it might have been the other question, I'm not 100% sure, but he said the reporter baited um, Sean Strickland into saying what he said or he was trying to bait something out of him of course he was <laughs> that's the job your job is to ask a question to get an interesting answer whether that answer is negative or positive remember the people sitting there asking those questions are not PR if you're a PR person you go and you ask Sean Strickland why do you love America why are you such a great fighter and you write a beautiful PR article with not nothing negative you ask a question if you get some positive you you know you you speak about the positive thing if you get some negative you speak about the negative thing if you're a reporter if something someone has said something negative before you want to question on that negative thing again that is by all means your right to do it why why do people expect 
uh, media members, journalists to go in there and be the PR for the UFC or for the fighters. They have no responsibility to do that whatsoever. Like, okay, the word baited, right? Baited can have a negative connotation. But imagine if you went into that press conference, Ian, and you asked Sean Strickland, like, is the jab going to be a big part of this fight, right? Simple enough question. That's baiting him into saying part of his game plan, into you know, uh, uh, to, to get some information about how this fight will actually go. You know, or you might have a more complex uh, question, but you know what I mean? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's just, we're talking about, is, is it a negative way? Is it a positive way? Or is it not even, a negative isn't the right word, just like a, a, a journalistically in, uh, integral way of asking things about something that matters, I, about something people care about. And but, completely relevant to absolutely. the actual event as well, because you had two LGBTQ plus uh, athletes in the co-main event yes. that were competing as well uh, you know so I mean everybody has their own opinions but I mean we got to understand at the same time what media is and the responsibilities of media and, and why you know independent media are at these events and it seems to be a common trend right now that when media are actually asking legitimate important questions that they're absolutely getting shot upon and are you know not give, being given the same opportunities as someone who wants to come in and, and kind of toe the lines a little bit for the UFC yeah and that's the media's responsibility to continue to do that so uh, but it's also mm-hmm. the media's responsibility to call the fight down the middle and we'll get to that fight now um, I think a lot of people you know <laughs> were happy to score this fight against Sean Strickland because of him being Sean Strickland, the same as being true with other people uh, in the past. Now, that is n- that that's a small minority of people. I would say this was a fight down the middle that I think can go four one uh, to three two to two three. I think it's one of those fights. I scored a three two to to Sean Strickland, which if you people want to call me biased, I picked Sean Strickland going in. I think he's a horrible cunt and I thought he wouldn't have fight. So there was there was my thoughts on it. Um let's have a look, we'll talk about the judging first. There's no point uh denying that. Um this fight was a four round fight in terms of the judging, right? The fifth round, Sean Strickland won that. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. He came out, he landed hard shots. Um I scored it. It's hard. Okay, we we'll, we'll talk judging first, and then we'll we'll, we'll talk afterwards. I uh, because I have a very very interesting thought about this first four rounds. But I scored the first uh, one for Strickland, the second one for Duplessis. Um, I scored the third for Strickland. That was the swing round uh, on the judges, but the second round was also very close. And I scored the fourth for Duplessis as well. So I had a two-two going into the fifth, and I scored the fifth for uh, Strickland. I haven't I haven't heard your score actually. Eddie and who did you score it for and which way did you score it uh, I scored it 48-47 for Trickus Duplessis I had Sean Strickland round one I had very close rounds two and rounds three that I just eat towards Duplessis round round four was Duplessis as well and round, I had Sean Strickland needing a finish going into the fifth round myself but I, I think for me, rounds one, Strickland easy. Rounds five, Strickland easy. Round four, Drickus Duplessis easy for me. Rounds two, rounds three, very, very close. And I'm not going to sit here and argue anyone who would have those rounds scored for Sean Strickland. Yeah, I would agree. I, I, I don't, 
I don't think one was as blow away as three and f- or as four and five, but I do agree. I think strict one, and I don't think there's much yeah. of a, a thing there. On so here's here's my thoughts on rounds one to four. We can leave five out of it because Strickland came out a different fighter in the fifth, and it was a different fight uh, at that at that point. So we we all agree one was Strickland and four was Duplessis, right? So how did Duplessis get from losing the first round to winning the fourth round? I think he got there in a very gradual way. And this fight ebbed from one to four, again, leaving out five, towards Duplessis finding out the game of Strickland, right? Now, I said finding out the game of Strickland right, rather than it ebbed from Duplessis losing to Duplessis winning, because I truly believe that Duplessis didn't get off enough of his own game to say that he was, like, taking over the fight or clearly winning it. If he had done that, I think this would have been a rout, because if he had done that, he probably would have won two, three, and four handily, and even if Strickland had come out fought differently in the fifth, he would have needed the finish. He needed to finish on your card, obviously, and some other people's card as well, but it was on a close card rather than a blowaway card. And I think the reason for that was he struggled to put his offense away. Like, he, he was a bit of a Darwin Nunes, you know? He, he scored one goal, but not the next goal, and not the next goal, and not the next goal, and he maybe won after that. But he kind of... He, he kept the clean sheet the further he went, you know? I thought in the first round, so Strickland was jabbing him over and over. He was checking the kicks really well. DDP was landing some nice, uh, lovely body kicks and uh, landed one head kick as well. Takedown for him as well near the end. Sean Strickland landed a nice hard right hand. In the second round, it was much closer. The body shots for Duplessis were lovely. Late takedown, he got a bit more with it. Uh, Sean landed a load of jabs, but DDP was just landing harder. Then the third round was the one where almost nothing landed, like nothing of big, significant damage landed. Now, that is the perfect example of what I was getting at there, right? Because Strickland landed a good bit in the first, less in the second, much less in the third, and then in the fourth, Drake has landed way more than him, even if Strickland landed a bit. That third round is an interesting round, and that's why I think it's the float round for most people. And this is the reason why I think it is, right? Because Strickland was struggling more to land that jab. I think a lot of that was to do with him being a little bit tired as you're going to be in the third round, but Duplessis not getting that tired at all and having unbelievable durability. So Strickland's game... I, I would argue that the, I would argue that the stance switches yes, from very Duplessis much throughout this fight as well was something that... I don't know whether Strickland didn't really comprehend, but it was like, you'll see people switching stances, but you go back, I'd love to go back and watch it again and count the amount of times that Duplessis did switch stances. It was unbelievable. Multiple times each round, sometimes halfway through certain combinations, he's going to switch stances. I found when Duplessis was standing in southpaw, that's his right hand forward, that Sean Strickland was having much more difficulty in getting off that jab because Duplessis put himself into a situation where he was able to hand fight or pat away that jab a lot easier with his right hand standing uh, in front of him. Um, when he switched back to orthodox, you know, I think that's probably what Sean Strickland is more used to looking at, more used to kind of getting a read of. And he, you would find if you watch back that fight that Sean Strickland does land his jab a lot more often 
when Duplessis is in his orthodox stance. And I thought that was an excellent piece of kind Massive of reading of from Duplessis and a huge part of why he went on to win this because you said it before this fight, Johnny, if the jab of Sean Strickland was going to win or lose him this fight and he was, it, it, it almost, it almost got him the job done, but it also lost it for him too because when the jab wasn't getting off, he didn't really have too much else to answer with. And yeah. I think that's another kind of a thing as well. There was no variety in attacks from Sean Strickland on the night. I, I think you make some great points. And the switching of stances was very evident, I think, in two and very important, sorry, in two ways. I saw a few people talking about it. I think um I think Michael Chandler was one and and, and Connor from uh, the Heavy Hands podcast was another talking about the rhythm like and you know we spoke spoke about it before and on the podcast last week about the Robert Whitaker fight and how Robert Whitaker is very much a rhythm fighter that's how he beat Yoel Romero and um, Duplessis was very good at breaking his rhythm he also broke Sean Strickland's rhythm with that switching of stances you're 100% correct in that it was a massive part of it as you said, he so what he did, and, and the other side of that, then that's part one. He brought the rhythm. Part two is he only took half, maybe the amount of jabs, probably a little bit more than that. But you get what I mean. Than he normally would have if there wasn't, like, you, you know, you look for a number there. Let's say the number is fifty switch stances in the, and it's probably more than that. Let's say he'd normally do twenty. I think he probably would have taken a severe amount of jabs more if he'd only done twenty as opposed to fifty. That one helped his durability. But also, his durability in itself, even with the 20 jabs, was really good because he was still there in rounds three and round four when a lot of people won't be against Sean Strickland. Sean Strickland is not your big one-punch knockout artist. You, he could be in rounds three and four because he'd have jabbed you up and you're in such pain and you're so tired that you can't go anymore. But Drickus Duplessis, his cardio was really good. But... Your cardio is going to be helped by not taking as many big shots. It's easier to move left and right and left and right than take punch after punch after punch after punch. And that's exactly what he did. And he took the less less punches, the more the four-round fight went. Obviously, we, le- we, we left the fifth round aside. The one thing I would say, in, so in, in, I'll go back to the third round in a second. In the fourth round, uh, Sean Strickland actually started the round really well. He was landing some right hands, but then Drickus caught him. You know, Dominic Cruz is absolutely loving that. We'll talk about that more in a second. But then he got the takedown, and after that, he was landing loads of shots when they got back up. Strickland was covered in blood, and it felt like that 30-second period there was the most dominant period for anyone in the fight. After he got back up, when he was covered in, the gl- in blood, he got another takedown. He got a big suplex, which scores as well, and he won that fourth round. But in the third, right? Or not many of them landed. I think it's a very interesting round, and I need to go back and probably watch it a, a few more times. The reason I gave it to Strickland, and that that was look, that was the turnaround because the the fight ebbed there. If Duplessis had landed two to three shots more, I would have scored it for him. Everybody would have scored it for him, and this would everyone be calling this three two. It would not be. I, I don't think there's much controversy over it anyway because it was close, but there would be no controversy at all. And the reason is. I just think Duplessis wasted too many chances, missed too many chances, hit the air too many times, where Strickland still was landing those jabs. He wasn't landing as much as he would have liked, though, but he was landing jab after jab after jab, and he landed a beautiful left hook right at the end of the round, which, in my opinion, was also the hardest shot of that third round. And that's why I scored the third for Sean Strickland. But literally, it came down... 
it came down to a couple of jabs and that left hook at the end for me not really much in it at all but it was a very interesting fight overall Ian is there any more on the, on the tactics you know we, we've spoken about the scoring but any more on the tactics that you want to cover because I feel like this is one that maybe there's there could be a few different opinions on or even a, you know a longer chat on because it was a it was a fascinating fight to me yeah, really fascinating. I things that surprised me about Drickastupasi and his display was, you know, his kicking game was very good. Leg kicks, body kicks, and obviously head kicks too. From a tactics perspective, we've mentioned the switching of stances, um, how to combat the jab of Sean Strickland works so effectively for Drickastupasi. Another thing also that I was a little bit surprised to see was how uh, often Duplessis was on the front foot and how often Sean Strickland was on the back foot. And I think that made things a hell of a lot more difficult for Sean Strickland to implement his kind of style and game plan in this fight too. You know, we we seen him almost all the time moving forward against Israel Adesanya and how effective that was. But that's also down to Israel Adesanya and you know, he's often wanting this to want to fight on the back foot. So I think, you know, Izzy was kind of a master of his own downfall and where he allowed Sean Strickland onto him. And Sean Strickland was then able to build up a kind of level of momentum. That momentum never came last night for Sean Strickland because Drickus Duplessis didn't allow him to have that. Whether it was the blitzing, whether it was, you know, those four or five punch combinations, whereas that, you know, Sean Strickland was firing back with just the one twos, you know, whether that looked more aesthetically pleasing to the judges um, whenever they did land as well from Drickus Duplessis you know bar a couple of occasions the majority of his shots did land what what seemed to be from watching on the TV with a little bit more impact in certain uh, stages as well I would argue slightly that you know Sean Strickland was missing quite a bit I'd love to see the accuracy percentages of both both these guys but I do agree with you because Drickus was throwing a lot more he was missing a lot more but that forward pressure mixed with um, the switching of the stances was a real recipe for disaster for Sean Strickland, really, in this fight. That And and I feel that Drickus was trying to set up a head kick on Sean Strickland. I think he was trying to come in and, and use some wild hooks to kind of get Sean to use his Philly's Philly shell defense and trying to meet him at the end of a head kick. He got he threw a couple of head kicks up but now now and then, but Sean Strickland did very well to kind of counter them and get out of the way. Um rounds two and rounds three, somebody worked some leg kicks from Drickison and a couple of heavy shots that landed w- with his hands at the end of the round as well. I do remember that last punch that Sean Strickland landed in round three, and it was very um very impactful and effective but uh, I think in those kind of close exchanges you know we don't really score takedowns but do we score takedowns when it's that close do we need to kind of rely on that forward pressure a little bit more when it's that close no you know no you you would say no and I I definitely trust your opinion when it says that you're in the third round you mean is it Third round and other and other close rounds in general as well, maybe, but not may- maybe particular in round three. Strickland's left hand at the very end means more than any takedown would mean. So, like, if you're if you're torn at that stage, score it based on that one punch. If you think it's it's an extremely even round up until then, score and let's say that punch doesn't happen, score it on the the punches you think are more effective like I'm looking at the stats and I don't like looking at stats but uh, 31 punches to 29 punches you've plenty to score on there you know and you know if there was um, 
if there was a submission attempt or whatever, scoring on that as well. I'm not saying don't score on grappling, but not just takedowns or not forward pressure. And not in a fight like that where there was there was plenty of shots, you, you wouldn't score on that. Here, very interesting on the stats as well. I just pulled them up because of what you said a minute ago. You, you were right in what you said about Strickland. Only 42% of the strikes landed, which I'm not, I, I don't really look at these stats, but that is, you know, a, a good... Um, uh, a low enough number and 38% for Duplessis which is not shocking to me at all the Strickland number you called it right it, it, that was a little bit more shocking to me I thought he would have landed more so it was total strikes 183 out of 419 for Strickland that percentage I gave you is actually the significant strikes there isn't a percentage for the total here but we could make it out but 140 out of 358 for uh, for Duplessis so Strickland landed 43 more shots but as we know fights are scored round by round and round one he outlanded him by nearly 20 and out round five he outlanded him by 18 as well so that's where that kind of discrepancy comes from uh, mostly so yeah look it was it was an interesting fight it's a weird one because like I felt like we've talked here and we've talked about why Duplessis won the fight but it really was a very close fight like we're literally co- talking about could a takedown of one of <laughs> you know that's how that's how close yeah. a, fight, a fight is when you get it that way um, I mean there's a big difference between controversial and close and that's kind yeah. of what we all kind of get a little bit confused about uh, in modern day mixed martial arts is that you know close fights don't necessarily mean that they're controversial fights. I mean, I, we're sitting here, I have it for Duplessis, you have it for Sean Strickland, but we're both sitting here and understanding why, I understand obviously why you scored it for Strickland and you're vice versa for me, for Dricus Duplessis. Super, super close fights. And I mean, we could go back and we could watch it again. You could see something different. And, you know, when we're having to watch these things two or three times over, you know, we have to bear some kind of empathy towards the judges who only get one look at um, and have to make a quick judgment call as well. So I think overall, I'm I'm definitely fairly satisfied with how the judges called it. Uh, you know, I saw it similar enough myself. I think it was Eric Colon and um, who was the other judge? Derek Cleary and uh, Sal Cleary. Sal had it for Strickland. Sal had Sal- the same way I had it and the other two had it the same way you had it. Yeah. Yeah. So look at, I think, I think, no controversy there, just a close fight and a good fight at that as well. And also, you think about that, those three judges I named there, they had in agreement on one, they had fully in agreement on two, fully in agreement on four, fully in agreement on five. Three was the only split round. Like, and in a fight that we could all agree was very, very close uh, for, for most of the fight. You know, I think, I think two as well is another round just worth quickly mentioning because we don't want to have the well what's uh, what's Graham's phrase again the, the the championship bias or the the, the whatever it's championship called championship bias or uh, yeah it, championship bias or Oh. Um, expectation, expectation bias, bias yeah. Although maybe you know, maybe this is more champion bias. I don't think, like even in our picks, I think it was literally fifty-fifty in our picks who was going to win this. So maybe there was an expectation bias here, but maybe there was a little bit of the the challenger bias more than the champion bias. Um, whereas, like, oh, he lost the first round. Oh, that was closer. We'll give him the second round. You know, type of thing. Um, I I very much try not to do that, and I did still give it for him. So, but. I would just think if you're watching it back, just think about that again. And maybe actually when you're watching it live for the next fight, think about that sort of thing. Because you know, things like that do creep into your mind and it's very close not to get away from them. But as we move on in the uh, in the middleweight division, it looks like Adesanya versus Duplessis is going to be next. Um, 
I'm not sure if I am 100% on board with that. I think if Strickland would have won, I think him versus Adesanya is a very interesting rematch. And and I, I, would, I would actually like to see Adesanya fight someone else first. But I, I do think it's an interesting rematch just because of what happened uh, in the last fight. Also, I think if they were to make that fight now, it would actually make probably even more sense. Strickland and uh, uh, and Adesanya. But it looks like Adesanya is getting to see there is that built-in rivalry. There is all the talk they had before. What's Shemayev going to do then? Who Shemayev going to fight? He's the odd man out. Is he going to fight Strickland? Um, Whitaker is fighting Paulo Costa coming up here. Maybe he could fight the winner of that. He was promised a title shot, wasn't he, after the Usman fight or before the Usman fight? And did he won it? But uh, I don't know what's happening there. I... I I don't know Ian. What's what's your thoughts on the situation? What would you do? Would, would you would you make Duplessis versus Izzy? Yeah, I think I probably would. The story is already there. Look at and your UFC you want your big stars in the big fight. So they're going to be wanting to put Izzy back in there. Um if if he is wanting to come back to middleweight, I guess that has to be a, a topic of conversation as well. I know he's been pictured and looking a little bit more bulkier and chunkier and there are suggestions maybe of a light heavyweight stint again. I would imagine it's going to be middleweight for Izzy. Um, I think, you know, people saying, you know, I wouldn't, I would argue slightly on saying that, you know, maybe he should have to fight another fight, but, you know, with the title run that he was on, that was the first middleweight title fight in six years he wasn't a part of. Sometimes we just got to let him, you know, he's kind of stepped aside and he's allowed Drickus to come in here. So I think, you know, give him that rematch when he comes back, see what happens. And that's an intriguing matchup. I think overall on the, on the state of the middleweight division, even though, you know, Drickus did have some choice things to say and some nasty things to say on in, in the press conference in December to Strickland. I thought he handled himself really well this week Great. in Toronto. Yeah. Any interviews that he did, um, going out there and performing at the level that he did, you know, he told me at that press conference he wanted to turn uh, all of those boos into cheers. And you know what? Coming at the end of round five, he was getting a hell of a lot of cheers in yeah. there from the Toronto crowd. So he he got what he was looking for. I think he handled himself very well. And I think a lot of people um, are, are looking at him as a much better fighter than what they thought he was before this fight. And I kind of had inklings of that before, but it was all about getting over the line. I did pick Drickus to win this fight. Um, because I did notice those slight little bits of improvement and jumps in level from each fight. And, um, you know, styles make fights and he had a good style. I, look, I picked Triggers, but I also said he's not going to stand in front of Sean Strickland for five rounds and win a technical striking fight. It wasn't necessarily a technical striking fight, but he stood in front of him for five rounds for the majority of the fight and ended up winning. And so I, I, I give him maximum credit for that too. Yeah, indeed. The comment event then, um, not, not a classic here. Um, you know, you had a, a fighter, I suppose, who we've watched for a decade now in, in Raquel Pennington, and how, uh, she's pretty much proven that she's not good enough to be a championship fighter. Um, but, you know, the championship fighter in that division has retired. Valentina Shashinko's fighting in the division below. There is a massive fight, obviously, around the house. He's gone, Chris Cyborg is gone. There's a massive fight there. Uh, and she ends up being the one filling it. Basically, because Mirabuna Silva, who has, you know, been on a good run recently, got to this level, hit a rock in, like, uh, no pun intended, in, like, the second round and just fell off a cliff. 
just f- and I was like I tweeted it that oh this could f- turn very quickly and literally as I tweeted it it turned like she won the first round she got the back landed a good few strikes almost submitted her you're kind of thinking maybe that's it alright you know she'll get her in the second round she got the clinch again you know held her against the cage for a long time but then Pennington started landing shots land- especially started landing shots to the body she was hitting her pretty hard uh, she hurt her once and she was like an idiotic clinch but Silva almost got the rear naked choke late when she got out of that I'm like this one is not great for her because she looks so tired it's close round third round couple of subatins for Rocky Buena Silva tired the fourth round Raquel Pennington started winning the clinch in against someone who all they want to do is get in the clinch uh, Buena Silva nearly got a rear naked choke but she was just too tired to get it and then Rocky landed a load of shots on top then Rocky got on top in the fifth round about three minutes in an arm triangle choke landed some good round, ground and pound and won the fight uh, this was a dismal fight um, between someone who is a good solid fighter and someone who is so unbelievably flawed that it fell apart about seven minutes into a fight and she was unable to get it back. Um, you know, middleweight, we, we talk about middleweight all the time, Ian, and I think you look at the middleweight fight we saw and it's not, you know, it was a good fight, but not the best quality fight we've ever seen. You look at this fight and I would nearly go as far as to say this was a bad quality fight. This was not great, was it? One of the, one of the, let's be real, one of the worst title fights that we've ever seen, to be honest. I would say up there with Rose and, and Carla Esparza think, as well. As, I think as, it's one of the worst title fights we've ever seen where stuff happened throughout the whole thing. You know, some, some fights, yeah. people just look at each other like the one you were just mentioning there. But like stuff happened for 25 minutes there and just all that stuff was terrible, basically. Yeah, and it's like, look, I'll give myself a little bit of a pat on the back because I kind of called it exactly as it played out. I felt if Pennington was able to weather the early storm of Bueno Silva, I felt that she had the experience and all, not just the experience in her career, but that championship experience as well, being in it, the likes of Nunes and, and some of those serious fighters coming up. Um and, you know, that paid dividends to her where she didn't get disheartened. She, you know, she's had tons of heart. She had, you know, the desire to win. And, you know, you just have to battle through those stages. And she did. She was very close to being finished on a number of occasions. A couple of chokes, a couple of rear naked chokes didn't happen. She just she just bit down on her gum shield then throughout the round. The end of round two, three, four and five were supremely dominant and, yeah, we said it. it was either going to be a Bueno Silva early finish or a Raquel Pennington decision win. And that's exactly how it played play out. And where it leaves us in the division is wanting, you know, probably the return of Juliana Pena to see what's happening there. But I think you tweeted it last night. I think you're right. I think what we need is uh, some fresh meat into that division. That's Valentina Shevchenko to come in and add a little bit of a spark to a division that's badly needing of it after the retirement of Amanda Nunes. Yes, and also Kayla Harrison has only one fight left over in uh, PFL, I believe. So maybe, maybe that could be part of it too. Let's say if she could get down to one thirty-five, it'd be interesting yeah. to see. I think she'll at least give it a go, though, and I think it'd be worth her while. Yeah, that might. Uh, yeah, the part about getting down to one thirty-five might be an issue as well, but. I think 125 is good enough for Shashinko that she could move up right now. Maybe, you know, maybe she probably doesn't want to leave the grass thing behind her. But yeah, like Pennington versus 
Pena is just another drab affair. Like, that's not a fight that anyone is going to care about just simply because they're not that good of quality. Like, there are loads of good quality fighters in, you know, the 125-pound division, 115-pound division, and it used to be the other way around. You know, it used to be the 135-pound division, but that isn't the case at the moment, and you're uh, <clears throat> you're probably wanting to wait for someone to come through. Someone I really like is, is Norma Dumont. She's fighting uh, Jermaine Durand and me coming up. I think she'd be a good person to have in a title fight. I just I think she'd bring a bit of quality to do it or maybe even the random me herself but um yeah we'll, we'll see how that goes right in the fair play award of the week it's time for the coveted fair play award of the week last week i went to jim miller for uh people talking about him going into the uh the hall of fame and it, i'll tell you what people people just like the whole fair fair you know fair play Fair play, fair play at them. Tiernan Lochran is looking to get a fair play. We'll see now. He's a fight coming up, and he will see. Hey, you know, look at you. Got to go out there and do something, Sean. You, you have can't, to do you it. Can't be just. Oh, you just can't be going about every day of life and yeah. expecting that you're going to get in no. uh, as a first ballot Hall of Fair player here. You've got to go out there and, and prove your work. Jim Miller did it last week, and the next person that we're going to talk about, I'll let you, I'll let you announce who it's going to be. Gillian um, Robertson. Gillian uh, Robertson is going into the Hall of Fair Play. And do you know why? Gillian Robertson last night got a knockout against Pollyanna Vienna, Vienna, Vienna. And she got her ninth knockout in the UFC. And it puts her at second all time behind Amanda Nunes in knockouts for women in the UFC fair play to her fair wow, play to her fair fucking play now, I thought, I'm not going to lie here I'm sitting here in a little bit of shock that Why? it wasn't going to be somebody else really because I was full sure that we were going to give it to Neil Magny oh fair play ah, fuck it fair play to Neil Magny alright are we, are we putting in two entries this week? I don't know. It's Neil Magny after I thought the way we were lining up and the way we were going through the fights, we are going yeah, to I, I pull like Neil Magny and Mike Malott. <laughs> no, you kind of threw me for I, a loop I, there. I was I, like, when, I when you said Gillian Robinson, I was like, fair play. Magny went too obvious, like. Magny, and I picked Magny coming in, and... Thank God you did. <laughs> this is behind the four wall. You posted. Was it you that posted the graphic up on Instagram there the other day? Yeah. Yeah, and you unfor- well, fortunately forgot to change the pick that I had changed, and you left it as my pick being Magni, even though I changed it to Milad. So forevermore. I have picked Neil Magny to win and he did oh win. So I was I correct. actually messed up. I, be, I was going to talk to Andy. I messed up Andy's main car pick as well. I was looking back at him. And Andy had Drew Plessis by decision. I had him by third round knockout. So that's why Andy does those. Yeah, on he's good basis. at that. I got them <laughs> massively wrong for him. <laughs> you spelled Magni wrong on like every one of them as well. <laughs> I, did. Uh, I did it. I did it once and I fucked them all up as well. So yeah, that's, uh, that's Andy's even to job. But, yeah, I I think yeah, fair play to Neil Magny. Do you know what? Fuck it, they're both going into it. Fair play, Julian Julian Robertson. Uh, that's a good record, though. You know the second most knockouts in women's history after Amanda Nunes. Like that's pretty good. Like fair play on that. But fair play to Neil Magny as well for coming back. I'll tell you what, Ian. Let's talk about Neil Magny, Mike Malott here for a second because let's put some respect on the name of Ian Gary for a second. 
Like people, I remember there was there was a few Canadians going around even saying, "Oh, Ian Gary, not good enough. He didn't finish Neil Magny. You need to be finishing Neil Magny if you're a proper uh, uh, prospect." And uh, now Mike Velas, you know, who's Canadians, fucking great, the next GSP, you know, and he loses to Neil Magny and gets destroyed uh, in the third round. So fair, but shouts to Ian Gary, um, but. Yeah, look, this again, I, I've mentioned it here, uh, I think in all three of the top fights, durability. Neil Magny was so durable. He, he was so durable, he lasted three rounds with Ian Gary. He was so durable, he lasted two and a half rounds with Mike Malott. And Mike Malott does not have near the amount of durability as Neil Magny. He got tired, he panicked, he didn't have, and not just the durability, but he doesn't have the experience, he doesn't have the calm and assured nature that you need in that sort, and the fight turned, and it was unable to be turned back, and Neil Magny was there. It didn't matter that he was two and a half rounds down. He knew the fight was there, and he was fine, and he was perfect, and he took it and he took this young lad into a place where he couldn't breathe he literally could not breathe such deep waters that he ground and pounded him and that was that brilliant what a, what a performance for Neil Magny like Mike Mallard he performed well he's only 13 fights into his career he'll come back again I was just giving Canada a bit of stick there but he'll come back but this, the story's Neil Magny isn't it what a, what a performance and you love to see you know the old dogs you love to see him coming back and going, no, not not tonight, son. Not tonight. And he, whi- he whipped him. Brilliant for Neil Magny, wasn't it? Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. I tell you, there would have been, I don't know, there would have been both controversy if we didn't add him into the Fair Play Awards this week because, you know, the circumstance that he had to face coming in against another young, hungry lion, uh, Neil Magny has been doing that. You know, we were talking about the preview show, about it on the preview show, Shawnee, and... Uh, this run of fighters that uh, Neil Magny has taken on, Robbie Lawler, Michael Chiesa, Jeff Neal, uh, Shavkat Rachmanov, Daniel Rodriguez, Gilbert Burns, Ian Michelle O'Gary, Mike Malott, serious, serious, serious guys there to be running through, uh, a couple of others in between that. But, I mean, to come out there and to get the win, number one, but to get the win in the manner that he got the win on when he was down two rounds, he was he was getting beat up at certain stages. You know, we want to talk about Ian Gary. Mike Malak came out and instantly started chopping away at the legs of Neil Magny the same way as what Ian Gary did, and it was very effective in that fight when Ian fought Neil Magny. But... Um, Kind of pushed too hard for the finish. Little bit of uh, lack of experience in, you know, making sure that you have enough left in the tank that if you don't get your guy out of there in rounds one or rounds two, that you have enough to finish the fight. And we've seen it time and time again inside that octagon, Shawnee, where, you know, a tale of two kind of fights, but it wasn't even two kind of fights. It was what you said. It was that opportunistic kind of killer instinct of Neil Magny to know when Mike Malott was done. And, how quickly that this fight shifted Mad. as well was Mad. insane. It was like, I want to say I was like right now and I was going to tweet something and Mike Malott was on top. And then I, <laughs> Me too, I, yeah. I tweeted something and I looked up and next thing Neil Magny was on top of him, hammering him with punches. And I was like, what the fuck? What the fuck happened here? But Jesus, all the credit in the world for Neil Magny. Um, fantastic win. Mike Malott, look at lots of learning curves that has come from that fight. It was a huge opportunity on a big card in Toronto in his backyard. He'll be 
massively disappointed but you know what you go back to the drawing board you assess some of the problems and you learn from that and he'll be back how far he'll go I don't know how far he'll go it's 30, he's 32 years of age right now time is not on his side so he's got to almost go back in there again with another name in his next fight and try and right those wrongs and try and propel him back into the top 15 in the welterweight division I don't know if he's going to be able to do it or not you almost forget that and I fucking forgot it there a second even though I, I was reminded of it he is a little bit older isn't he and you know I call, I call him a young up and comer in 13 fights he, as you said not so much so I think that that analysis is definitely right just before we move on as well I have to say, fair play to Raquel Pennington, right? For sticking around for that long, winning the yes. title. Fair, you know, it was a bad fight. You know, she's not the best fighter in the world. She's, a, you know, basically like a sign more for of a victim, division. More of a victim of circumstance exactly. here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and you know what? We, I'm glad you went back on it because I was actually thinking about it as well and forgot that we shouldn't just rag on it completely. We should give her her dues because... She's an OG. Yes. She's been around for a hell of a long time. And you know what? It was a really great moment to see her in there with her family, with the belt around her shoulders and, and you know, having that moment with her daughter and, and with Tisha Torres as well, her her partner. You know, fair play to her as well. Like, we don't want to be going too slap heavy, heavy on the old fair play awards, but she's there, thereabouts. She got oh, a fair yeah. play nomination. Last she did, night, yeah. Along. She did. Yeah, she did. yeah. So. A few of them, a few of them. Uh, Chris Cortis and Barry Ald, absolutely shite. Uh, uh, not talking about that. The third round is okay. Um, but there's one or two more fights I want to talk on. Just let me quickly mention Sean Woodson. I I, I love Sean Woodson's style. I think he's brilliant. Uh, it was a mad that this was a split decision against Charles Jordan. He definitely won that fight. And we mentioned Gillian uh, Robertson. Really liked the fight between uh, Tavares and Saidi. If that hadn't, uh, I think one of them missed away at Tavares, didn't he? Or Tav- Tavares, actually. It's not Tavares. Tavares. Uh, I think he missed away. Yeah, but, he missed uh, by a lot. Like three or three and a half, yeah, four pounds. So, so that would have been fine. Yeah, fair play to City for for taking that fight number one, and he was he was unlucky not to take it. Really, there's a little bit of controversy surrounding that 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 scorecard as well. It was a close fight, but you know. That was another close one. There was, there was there was only one scorecard that I didn't like, and we'll get to that in a second. This one, it was okay. If the second round had unanimously gone to him. Then I would have been mad, but the set. So the guy who side he got the cut, didn't he, in the second round? Uh, but two, yeah. two of the three judges scored it for the guy who didn't get for for the guy who did get the cut. So Sidey won the round on two of the three judges' cards. So if you're, you know, Dominic Cruz and all of this, you know, the the judges, it was a close round. It was a close round. But if you're listening to the Dominic Cruz thing, you'd think all three judges are definitely scoring for him. It was a close fight. I uh, I probably would have scored it for for Saidi, but it wasn't it wasn't a, a massive one. I don't think. Um, but yeah, good fight. I mean, I, I like Dom has Dom has heard like you know damage wins your fights and is really kind of leaning on a cut, which is damaged. only a moment of a fight, and he kind of judges it based off that. Like I can't remember there was. It was the cut that opened up and so under somebody's eye in the first round. Maybe it was even this fight, and he was like in the third round. He was like, yeah. but "Look at that cut." <laughs> yeah, and I was like, "It doesn't really work no. that way." And, like and John Anik tries to tell him then, and he was like, "Oh yeah," but then was just kind of not having it either. And also, there was I was on fight. Uh, <laughs> both of them were cut, and he only looked at one lad having to cut it because like. What happens when both of them have a cut? <laughs> I just did. Oh my god, Dominic Crew like. 
Tommy Cruise was so bad last night. I think he was worse than DC. That's how bad he like now. That is some claim. But God Almighty, he was he bad. Had a bit of, he had a bit of a week. They oh, did the, the free the weigh-in show, and they were all asked about oh, yeah, the greatest the middleweights middle of all time as well. And he left Anderson Silva off the yeah. list. I mean, I know. I, I know. I was like, what are we doing here, Dom? He had, uh, I can't remember. He had someone he had, on it. He had Musasi. Uh, number five. Yeah, Musasi on the list and Adesanya. no Anderson Silva. Like, I mean, no. how, how can you have a middle he, he, Rich Franklin at number three. <laughs> Rich yeah, Franklin yeah, destroyed yeah, the, by The Anderson numbers are all over the place. They were, they were like, kinda, yeah. which I can understand, like, they're not, they're, some of them they might not consider in, in exact order, but like, to omit Anderson Silva, that raised my eyebrows. And yeah, yeah poor old Dom, I don't know. It's, it's like, uh, yeah, I just like him. He has a real good ability of analyzing, you know, fights and kind of getting reads on fights and what are going to happen. And I wish he'd kind of lean on that side of things. But maybe he's not being asked to do that by the broadcast team, by the production team. And, you know, maybe he's kind of being forcefully sent into these kind of judging conversations when he doesn't really feel comfortable or want to. But, I mean... You know, like you said, John tries at their best, but like a lot of the stuff he says when it comes to judging, at the very least, is is very nonsensical. Yeah, I think he used to be really good at the technical part, and then everyone was giving out because he was talking about underhooks all the time, and then he just stopped talking about that, and now he's just terrible. So yeah, um, but anyway, we'll move on. As I said, Jillian Robertson won very good performance for her. Sam Patterson destroyed Johan uh, Lanes. I was very surprised that he was the underdog in, in that fight. Um, there was a very good win for Jasmine Jazdevicius. She got the best uh, matchmaking on the card anyway against Priscilla Cachoeira, who she must be the worst fighter in the history of the UFC. Absolutely awful. And Jimmy Flick then looked really good against Malcolm Garden. Hashtag MMA retirements. He is back from them. Last two fights I want to touch on, though. Obviously, Brad Gatona fighting out of uh, SPG in Ireland against Garrett Armfield. This was a very, very close fight. Katona obviously won the third well. Um, the second was a little bit closer, but I thought Armfield won it. And so it all came down to the first. I thought it was a real toss of a coin. Armfield started the, fight, the, the round and the fight very well. And Katona ended round one very well. I think, you know, I probably would have just leaned Katona, to be honest. But, you know, not a not a big one. Was this a split decision as well? It, uh, no, it was a unanimous decision. But another another toss, uh, no robbery or anything here, definitely. How, how did you see it? Uh, exactly that way as well. I mean, Armfield had a great start, landed some heavy shots, and he is a heavy hitter as well. Katona kind of does what he does. He kind of bides his time, gets, uh, gets gritty, gets kind of, kind of does a lot of good work in the clinch and everything like that. And I think he did excellent to kind of turn it into that kind of a fight rather than uh, this toe-to-toe stand-up battle, which I don't think he would have won last night. He's too willing um, to do that, I mean, Katona, isn't he? I just, he needs to do he what is, he's good he, at more. Look, he away with it until he doesn't get away with it yeah. too. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. you know, he got away with it last night and, you know, I would be a little bit more forgiveful to him last night for doing that because... Uh, you know, Garrett Armfield isn't really that kind of common of a name, but that guy hits hard. He hits like a truck and he can put you out of there. So I think what happened was Katona felt that power early in the fight and kind of made a decision that, you know, what you want to do in going into great, uh, clinch exchanges there is to get in and, and make Armfield work and kind of draw the blood into the arms and make them a little bit heavier, maybe take away some of that power. And I think he did all of that excellently, very close round one. And I think I'd give round three to him as well. I, I, I wouldn't disagree too much in what way you described that, the scoring of that fight. Um, 
Just one more thing on the scoring before we get to the Ireland Allen fight, actually. There was a 10 7 uh, in the. Uh, which fight was it? The Cachoeira fight, wasn't it? Uh, Jasmine Jazdia Vicious. That's why I've called her. And everybody else one. was kind of using that joke as well. But I'd like to say I was and Did you go up with that? Here does why that's Jazz important, Jazz. right? 10 7, all well and good. We understand. We want more 10 8s. 10 7s, brilliant. Sal Diamato gave that 10 7. And I'll tell you now exactly why this is important if everyone listening. People might have their opinions or hear online about Sal D'Amato and, you know, Sal does more fights than anyone else. That's why you hear Sal's name more than anyone else. That's why when there's a close decision, it's usually Sal is in the close decision because he's in all of those big fights. He is the number one judge uh, in the world in terms of the number of fights he does. And I'd say a lot of people would argue in, uh, in the judging game that he is the best as well. And... Whether any of that you agree with or disagree with, this is one thing you have to agree with. He is a leader, right? People view him as the leader. So the other judges on the way up view Saldamato as the, you know, the boss. He is the leader of the judges. He, what he does, others follow. And if Saldamato is given a 10-7 in that round, I think that is brilliant. Because other judges will look at that and go, okay, Sal gave a 10-7. If I give a 10-7 and I go into a judge's meeting, an official's meeting afterwards, and they say to me, why did you give a 10-7? I goes, well, I watched Jazavicius versus Cachoeira very clearly, uh, a big 10-8 there. Sal, you know, Sal D'Amato is a judge I respect. He gave it a 10-7. I thought this was a very similar round to that, and that's why I gave it a 10-7. Right? And that's the sort of thing that happens, right? So that is big. So for Sal to do that, and you know, to somewhat stand above the parapet, put his head on line there, and give a ten-seven like that, you know, it's a brave decision to give a ten-seven. Let's let's be honest here; we don't see him that often. That is big for a judge like that to do it in a big pay-per-view card like this. It really helps judging. That sort of thing helps judging because it'll help other judges to do it. Exactly. It's like, what you know, we hear the question a lot. What is a 10-7? And now we have an example. Of yes. course, look, at in order to give a 10-7, you need an example of a 10-7. And Jasmine Jazdavis just gave us that example last night. So, you know, that will improve scoring overall. The more that it does happen, it will build confidence, like you said, in the other judges and fair play to them as well. Like, you know, I, I would be a big admirer of Sal Amato as a judge and he's been around I mean ever since I think Sal has been around judging uh, mixed martial arts fights ever since I've started watching I remember hearing his name being called from the way back in the early days of the UFC so that guy has been around he knows his stuff and you know that's what you call a 10-7 we have examples of it now and hopefully we get a few more of it and, and a bit more confidence in scoring those 10-7 fights indeed rounds, um, I should say Yes, indeed. Uh, Aaron Lallan and Vlayev. So, again, a very, very close fight here. Not a robbery again by any means. Uh, but this fight, I didn't I didn't like the way it was judged. I'll just put it that way. So, Aaron Lallan won the third round, um, in, in my opinion. I think most people's opinions. If I'm not, I think two, only two of the judges gave it to him. But uh, let's leave that aside for a second. Uh, the second round, I think Vlayev did win that. But... That was around where those legal slash illegal knees were in it. Uh, Mark Allard has come out and said um, after a report from Mark Ramondi that the rule is different uh, in Toronto. It's the old rule. It's any part of the ground apart from the soles, any part of your body apart from your soles, your feet are on the ground. You're a grounded fighter, which is right. Look, if those are the rules, those are the rules. Um, still, I don't think 
most if any of those runs were illegal maybe one was which he in that case he was right to call it he was there I would definitely take Mark Goddard's word over it but that definitely did change the fight maybe, maybe correctly because maybe one was illegal I think the biggest problem in that one and look maybe it wouldn't have made a difference anyway but what did the judges score there because like when Mark Goddard stops the fight he warns Arnold Allen the judges then do not score those knees because Mark Goddard has warned him, right? Now, it's you, you could say, right, okay, there was four knees thrown, as Mark Goddard said, the last one was illegal. So in the right world, the judges should score the first three knees and not score the fourth knee. But that is very unlikely to happen. Like, the judges to have a perfect view of that, to isolate exactly what Mark Goddard... Um, penalized without hearing from Mark Goddard in, you know, split seconds before the fight starts again and before the end of the round comes. That's just, that just did not happen. That just did not happen there. So that was, that's a glitch, right? That's a glitch and maybe something in the future that, uh, and I'm definitely not blaming Mark Goddard for this at all. I think he actually officiated it well under the rules we have, but maybe in the future it's something we can go, right, Mark Goddard goes to the judges there, he goes, there was four strikes thrown, three of them, were legal and the last one was illegal please do not score the last strike and we move on from that um but it was the first round i had the main problem with ian like i thought aaron lannan was winning that first round relatively well i thought he was hurting him i thought he stunned him like maybe three times uh if live was landing he shot so it was a it was a relatively even round in terms of i would say maybe the numbers if you were to look on them or whatever but aaron lannan was landing like clearly the more impactful shots in my opinion and in a Vlaya for like the last what f- minute started getting some takedowns and there was mat returns and there was gramby rolls or whatever you call them over and over he didn't properly take him down at all didn't do anything didn't do any shit land any shots I would argue that Aaron Lallan was actually winning all of those battles because he stopped him taking him down over and over. Yet Evloyev wins that round and thus wins the fight. No, nah, nah, not for me. What do you think? No, not at all. I think if you're Aaron Lallan, you could feel a little bit hard done by by the result. I had it exactly as you had it. Rounds one and rounds three to Arnold Allen. There's a couple of frustrations that I have in the fight itself. Um, number one is something that you brought up in in the fact that the rules are changed or are different in Toronto than what we would normally have maybe in a Vegas or somewhere else. I really can't believe we're in 2024 and we're still having this issue. Like, what can we do to have a unified set of rules? It's hard enough being a fucking fighter in its own right rather than having to say, well, well, we can't train for this particular technique here or we have to be wary in this position here. It should be the same every single place. We should be training it out. When you have that confusion, it creates moments like that. I agree with you on the knees. I think, you know, three of them were on the borderline. The last one was certainly illegal. And I was all, it was a hot topic of conversation. Um, and I'm glad I kind of got the clarification from you. I was watching the fights with a few friends last night and we were thinking, you know, because there was no points taken or because, you know, obviously there was a warning, but the warning was, it was a hard warning. Like in that case, even in a hard warning, you're not to score those shots. Is that correct? I thought it would have came by ways or means if you had a point taken or you are actually punished for them that you would take them away. But in this case, because you get the warning, you're not supposed to score the shots that were landed. Is that correct? That that would be correct. Like it'd be in a similar way, right? If you threw an inside leg kick, and it hit on the cup and 
the referee didn't take a point, but he warned you, don't do that again. If he says, don't do that again, it's illegal. Because, and illegal is the wrong word, but not legal is probably a better way to phrase it. Because he wouldn't say, don't do that again if you're kicking the inside of the leg, right? Because that's a legal shot. You can kick someone the inside of the leg as many times as you want. It's the fact that it hit the cup makes it, makes it a not legal shot. It was the fact that he hit the head while the hand was down makes it a not legal shot. That's why he got the warning. So you, if you give someone a warning, it's a sign that the shot is not legal, and it's a sign to the judges not to score it. This is a look. I this this is not me coming up with this. I've had a chat with a couple of judges about this before, and they basically told me that straight out, and that's the way to kind of look at it. You know, and there are other intricacies in that as well. Maybe a, a ver, maybe the, the judge on that side of it would have been able to see those three clearly legal knees and didn't saw the illegal knee as well. And when he saw the warning, um, uh, when he saw the warning, he only, you know, he scored the three knees and he didn't score the, the Fortney, but that's, that's very unlikely. I, I think, and mm. you know, it's a tough situation, a very tough situation. Another thing I would love to see is let's just legalize those knees. Let's just legalize them and then we don't have this kind of mess or misunderstanding or worrying about rules. Um, I know I just think it cleans up a lot and there's a lot of opinions and stuff about that that needs to ground an opponent. I think just to hell with it, we need to look at bringing that into modern mixed martial arts. It's going to clean up a lot of mess. It's going to make the sport more exciting in general. It's going to stop kind of stall positions quite a bit as well, which will make the sport a lot more exciting. But uh, look at a conversation for another day. Um, Last but not least, my frustration comes with uh, Arnold Allen for not fighting the way he fought in round three for the entire fight. Why couldn't he do that? And if he did that, it would have been a win for him without question in this fight. And this is last night's fight is it kind of this is going to sound so harsh but I'm going to say it anyway it epitomizes Arnold Allen's career so far and I hope this is not the way it's going to stay going from as a nearly man he nearly got it done he nearly beat Max Holloway he nearly beat Evlev you know he deserved after going on the run went on to get the title shot you know kind of done himself out of it by kind of talking himself out of a title shot after a couple of big wins as well and it's unfortunate because he he has he has the abilities and the overall abilities to be a good solid fighter and to move on and kind of build up those skills into a championship level fighter i don't know what it is is it a confidence issue is it a lack of self belief he comes across like he doesn't come across as this confident individual and you know what confidence cockiness it's a fine line between the two but you know what you need to have one or the other, or you need to have fucking both if you're going to be a successful fighter. And I think it's maybe something that Arnold Allen needs to work on, along with kind of a couple of other small things to develop his game, use his wrestling, use his strength, use the power. He 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 started off jabbing last night, Johnny, and just threw that jab completely out the window in rounds two and rounds three. I mean, it's so frustrating to look at a fighter like Arnold Allen who who has the package and, and is almost there. He just needs to kind of get out of his own way in certain terms. Hopefully that wasn't too harsh now. I, <laughs> if it is, I'm there with you because I agree. <laughs> you know, 100%. I, I, I talked last week, Graham, about Johnny Walker and other fighters like that who you always have hope for him putting together uh, because they're such a good athlete. And I think Aaron Lannan falls into that bracket. The difference between... 
say Johnny Walker and many other fighters who are very good athletes. Ireland Allen also, and, and not, not so much even Johnny Walker, but Ireland Allen has like every skill needed as well. Like there's nothing missing from Ireland Allen, nothing. Um, I like I truly believe if he went to ATT, I th- I think he'd be champion within eighteen months. I really do. It's just like last night, right? You you're right in saying he gave up things in rounds two and three, but also throw a takedown in there, like. Every time they went for a scramble, the fight went to the ground. Arnold Allen won it easily, every single time. Against a guy who's a really good wrestler like Ivlaev. Every He was stronger than him. He was better. But as you said, did he have the belief? Like, he showed it as a fact that he could grapple better than Ivlaev, who was a top grappler. Yet he didn't have the belief to actually grapple himself. Now, he's winning the strike, and fair enough. So maybe you could say he carried, you know, carried on and did that. Um, oh, my God. It's just just about putting it together. I Like, I've never been, you know, I've never been the biggest believer in the world of Firas Sahabi. I don't think, you know, I think there are a few people who are like that as well. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I think a move for Aaron Lannan. We'll see him become champion. I genuinely believe that. I think he has it all. He's such a good fighter. Um, but he's just and, and look, I thought he won the fight as well it last night. Even so. have to, it doesn't it doesn't yeah, no, and I'm thinking the same. I think he won it, but it's like, you know, whatever me and you think doesn't really matter a exactly. fuck right now. It's what yeah. the judges yeah. thought on the night. And we could stay here and talk to the cows come home about how how, uh, how Arnold won it, but look at the history will speak that he hasn't, and that's two in a row for him now. And it's not like he doesn't even have to have to leave. I I would agree. I, I'm I'm thinking, you know, looking at kind of Ian Gary's approaches, you know, kind of the extreme nature going out there and getting different looks at different gyms. I think having a home base is kind of important to the development of, of a fighter of any fighter, especially getting to the top level. You know, he doesn't have to necessarily completely leave Trislar, but why don't go down? Why don't you go down to a place like ATT or, or, or AKA or get different looks in different places? You know, if you're going to be over this side of the pond anyway, why not test out the waters? You know, so it's not going to do you any harm. I think, you know, there is always this level and, and with combat sports in general of this loyalty towards the gym that you've came up in. But I think as combat sports is progressing and, and developing and evolving, you know, getting out there and evolving yourself as a fighter is becoming more important now in modern day mixed martial arts and combat sports in general than it ever has been before. And I think, you know, you you kind of have to find a fine line of being loyal to your gym or being loyal to yourself as a fighter and where you need Indeed. to be or where you need to get to. A hundred well yeah, a hundred percent. But as you said, loyal to yourself. I think I think that is you know that is before we we heard James Gallagher talking about that as well, you know, and he's uh, you know a guy who's always been very loyal to his gym and John Cavanaugh he goes, Look I need to I need to make this move and I don't think I don't think anyone gave him any stick for it to be honest. Anyone you know and it's no. just a thing you need to do sometimes. Um all right, we, I think, do you know what, I think we, we reviewed that card more favourably than it deserved to be, to be honest. <laughs> it wasn't the greatest card in the world, but there was a lot of talking <laughs> coming do, out of it. <laughs> we do what we normally do here in the Severe MMA show, a solid 15 to 20 minutes of shitting on the card. And yeah, then we'll and actually then, talk oh, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, uh, let's move on. For, we'll just end it here in the next five, ten minutes or so. Um, the big news in the last week or so, uh, actually, on the Q&A last week, I announced the first broken by me for anyone else. February 24th would be Bellator versus PFL uh, in Saudi Arabia, and that would turn 
out to be correct and in the card was named this week uh, a brilliant card an unbelievable card I have only two requests for this card and they're both conjoined right so I'm not sure if the order of this is correct or not but they have it in heavyweight light heavyweight welterweight uh, featherweight here with the champion versus champion fights obviously going by weight if you're doing that Francis Ngannou better be cage side he better face off with the winner afterwards and he better say I'm fighting in you know June July September whenever it is that needs to happen right otherwise you can't have that fight as the main event you have like you have Magomed Magomed Karamov versus Jason Jackson that is a world level top level fight none of the other ones are with all due respect to all the other fighters none of them are that is that you recognize what you have there if you want to be a proper mma organization that needs to be the top and uh we, we'll go over this whole card we're going to do a chase and pack probably a special maybe even on this card i love the clay collard versus aj mckeef i love it so much uh i like nimco versus capaloza uh pinedo against uh, uh pitbull very interesting fight i i think impa kasang and i uh, will have it all to do against johnny evelyn if i'm being honest i like for versus bader as well an interesting fight pico versus braga what a fight that is uh clarissa shields is coming back here under a few others as well i here's one for you though santos and yola Mero is going to be the biggest snooze fest of a fight of the, it's going to be Yoel Romero Adesanya part two. It's going to be Nami Yunus uh, versus uh, Asparza. It's going to be terrible. But let's forget about that. This rest of this card is amazing. Are you as, are you as hyped for this card as I am? I, I think it's brilliant. I, 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 just, I, I just for I, I just for you. Fuck Saudi Arabia. This being in Saudi Arabia is rotten. Saudi Arabia horrendous for the sport. We see what's happening in soccer. There's people trying to already get out of there because the conditions are so bad and they hate it so much. It is not at all as well as it seems. So we've look, we've talked about it in depth before, but I, I want to mention it every time we talk about it. Put the card itself in. What do you think? For sure. I, I and we'll talk about it again down the line as well, I'm sure. Look at not to rain on your parade of wanting big fran over there. I agree with you 100%. This card takes place on February 24th of this year. Francis Ngannou and Joshua is on March 8th, I believe. So very, very close to fight time for Fran. That, that's, that's on in Saudi as well though, isn't it? It is. It, there's yeah. one, there is one chance he could be over there already yes. getting prepared or acclimatized. So if he is... and or, Fair enough, though. I will, know, I will I bow to that. Yeah, fair enough. If, if he's still in camp... Yeah, okay, I agree. I didn't realize that. That's fair. It's, fair, not, it's just not simply not... Like, no, it's simply yeah, not going right. to work if he is not in Saudi Arabia. Um, another big thing, this card is missing, you know, your self-claimed biggest star and that's Kayla Harrison you know you've got to work out something to try and get her on this card now I know there's a couple of different stories and stuff going around you gotta get Kayla Harrison on that card um, here's, here's a, a weird one on that, that though Ian just quickly Kayla Harrison's not the champion like um, uh, Pacheco won the championship the last two years in a row Cyborg is the champion like why would you if you're doing a champion versus champion card why would you even do that and maybe that's why they're not doing it because it's not a champion versus champion but uh, yeah, what, but, what about Pacheco like you, here? You, you, 
Pacheco was offered like I think what Don Davis said when he was on with Ariel is that Pacheco has been the star in all of this she's been just like I'll fight whoever I'll do whatever I think originally they wanted to make Kayla versus Cyborg scheduling injuries is, is proclaimed that that why that fight didn't happen Pacheco then was offered I believe uh, Cyborg or Kayla Harrison again they tried to get her on the card and it didn't really work out but you know just if this is a card to showcase champions, just stick her, stick Pacheco on with somebody. Like, why not just have her on the card? Just showcase the fighters that you want to showcase. You know, you've got the likes of Clarissa Shields on the undercard. Um, you know, you you're going to have Aaron Pico on the undercard here. I mean, you're not going to put someone like Kayla Harrison on the undercard, but you know, you could put, you know, the likes of Santos versus Joel Romero on the 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 top of the prelims card to kind of draw some interest and then put Kayla Harrison on it. I, I just think they missed the boat. I think having this as a pay-per-view is kind of a little bit bad, although it is understandable. I think, you know, you want to showcase, this is the start of something new. You want to try and get the, the crowd invested. You're not going to get them invested by charging $60, $70 to look at this at three o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. I don't know. I don't know about that at all. I think what you should do is you should eat up that cost for your very first card. You should showcase it. You should send it to as many screens as possible, to as many eyes as possible. But uh, that's enough of the negative stuff. Clay Collard, AJ McKee, fantastic fight. I'm I'm going to be a little bit of hoping that we'll get to see about 15 or 20% of excitement in that Yoel Romero and Santos because I am with you where it could be this kind of standoff. I think... Uh, Bruno Capeloza versus Vadim Nemkov, fantastic fight. Uh, Jason Jackson versus Magomed, Magomed Kerimov, brilliant fight as well. Uh, Pinedo versus Patricio Pitbull, that's an interesting fight considering where Patricio Pitbull Last has two been in at. A row. Yeah, fucking. yeah, is he where he once was? You know what I mean? And I think poor Impa Kansangani is uh, in for a world of trouble with Johnny Evelyn. Um, and Bader and Fehea. Very interesting. Which um, wins that one? Better Fea. I'm struggling to pick who I think wins that one. Fea big and he can get I, taken down, I suppose, but he can fucking hit too. Like, do you know? He can hit really well, and 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 with Bader is where is he at? Maybe this kind of fresh, uh, fresh blood, maybe new challenges might kind of get his motivation levels up. But Brian Bader doesn't need to prove anything to anyone at this stage, to be honest. He he's here. He's at the top of the card. I think more so than anything, the most interesting thing out of all of this is Vadim Nemkov relinquishing the light heavyweight title and moving up to heavyweight. So um, that's going to bring some very, very interesting fights. I mean, if you could kind of match Vadim Nemkov against someone like Francis Ngannou or somebody like that, those are very, very interesting fights and ones that you know I would be very interested in looking at. But look at we've been buying for champion versus champion cards. We want them. They're giving it to us, so we we best not bitch too much about it. No, I, I wonder. Although we've done a good job of it there. We right have. Now. Well, well, no, it was nice. But, uh, I wonder is Nimkov going after that Francis money? Like he may very well be. He's probably thinking to himself here. Look, Francis is not going to fight uh, until the end of the year, maybe early next year. If he does in MMA, if I can go get in here, win this. Let me challenge either get into the champion into the tournament after having it, or challenge a champion or whatever way this is going to be. Be the best heavyweight there. Like if Nimkov was put into the tournament next year, I think he'd probably win it. 
Uh, I think he's that good and he puts himself right in place in defeat Francis that's interesting but look as we said we'll talk more about that and this whole card on the uh, on the chasing pack which will be coming up uh, next week Ian when, when are we going to record the chasing pack we do on next week oh I'll tell you what though also no Amosov on the card which is very peculiar Yourself yeah. Amosov yeah. I wonder why he's I, I, I look at yeah, I, I'd be looking to put him on the card without a doubt as well. He was one of the standout performers of, of last year as well. I don't know whether time and did did they've tried to put this card together relatively quickly too, given I mean, probably a lot more time behind the scenes, but it seems that, you know, word is only coming out over the last week and we're only a month away from this now. Like it's not too too far away whatsoever. Like Here, uh, here's a bit of news as well. Uh, I believe an Irish card is in the works. So uh, not sure the date or anything yet, but an Irish card is in the works. I saw a lot of the Irish people, uh, and this is not me breaking news or anything, but a lot of the Irish fighters are talking about March. Um, that seems very, very close, but you'd never know. It, it, like, if if P- PFL have to do cards soon, so um, may- maybe, but and, and maybe it'll be a better card or something, but I'd be, I wonder, I'd be would surprised. Would the recent... Would the recent announcement of that March card over in France kind of put a scupper on maybe that potential unless um, they Irish do, card? And, unless they do the back to back to back cards. Remember they were they were doing that mm. before, like I may, yeah. or maybe they yeah. would do a PFL one week and Bellator next week. Also, when Bellator were doing it, remember they used to go like they do Russia and then they do Italy and then they do Dublin or whatever. I I don't know. I'm very interested because I think they're going to release like the whole year schedule at once, like they did last year, um, in the next literally week or two. So that's very. I, I love that as well. Just so you can prepare and you can know what's what's going to happen. So very interesting. One, one worry for me and one worry for me and and something that I did think about with this whole takeover is this like. Uh, a lot of fighters that are left in limbo and like maybe we can concentrate a little bit on the Irish fighters who you know we're, are not hearing anything they're not he- facing any updates and Liam McCourt has been out there absolutely vi- like battling to get her title shot with Cyborg and one that she deserves as well but I'm looking at other fighters like Kieran Clark and and, and, and the Kenny Mokahanas and the Dara Kellys and the Brian Moores and, and the Sinead Kavanas. you know I hope we get to see a little bit of movement with that, you know, even like the likes of Richie Smullen, he's who's going on to fight on the Cage Legacy card. And if if they can't get these fighters on cards, they've got to allow them that to at least compete somewhere else. And I think that would be the case. But you know, you're in, a lot of fighters in limbo here, Shawnee, and it's not really great. You know, we want one big criticism that we would have always had with Bellator is that you know, we want these fighters on Irish cards as well, but we also want to see them active at the same time and they were really kind of on a leash in terms of what events they would fight on, where it would be the event in February and the, the event in September. You know, a lot of Kieran Clark and, and, and Brian Moore wanting to go and fight stateside. And I hope a little bit more of that happens. You know, they're talking a big game about producing lots of cards in 2024 from March on. And I hope that they stack those cards. And I hope we get to see Irish fighters fighting in an abundance of of countries and abundance of different cards and not just kind of handcuffed to solely the Irish events where they're only going to be fighting once or twice a year. Once or twice a year suits some fighters, but I don't think that it suits young, up-and-coming, early professional fighters. I think they need I to agree. be fighting as often. It's hard to see that not being more of a problem now than before because there's going to be less Bellator cards. Like, I wonder, will the same emphasis be there in Ireland? That's a question that is 100% not being answered yet. Um, I wonder wonder how many of the 
fighters are actually going to be kept around in terms of not just Irish fighters but fighters around the world. It's a it's a very interesting one. Look, we will talk about that in the chasing pack. This that 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 will be a, a discussion with our patreon.com forward slash severe my podcast. Um also the best ever episode of uh Speaker's Corners coming up this Thursday. Honestly it was it was brilliant. It, it was the discussion is what it takes to be a star. And I, I, I genuinely I think it's the best one we've had. So that's coming up 7 a.m. Thursday. Also coming up next weekend, just quickly to touch on these. We've no UFC, but there's two very good cards, one from Octagon and one from one. Uh, the Octagon, first of all, 52 is over in Newcastle in uh, the UK. A couple of Irish guys on it. Dennis Frimpong is on it. Uh, Armand Herzig uh, as well, and I'm sure you'll, you'll discuss all of them in the uh, um, in the uh, in the chase. Um, in sorry, in the old triangle. Um, but towards the top of that card, some very uh, good fights. Aaron Aby, the former uh, Cage Warriors standout, is in against Christopher Daniel, the former Cage Warriors standout again champion Matthew Bonner as against uh, Matthias Pinas and the former Cage Warriors champion Jack Carwright takes on Jonas McGard in a very very interesting uh, bout there. But yeah, that that should be very very fun one as well. Just to touch on it quickly. Um, the MMA fights in that Sage Narcot versus Shinya Aoki I know a lot of people will be tuning in for that there's a mixed rules fight between uh, Yoshihiro Akiyama and Nikki Holskin I believe one round boxing round one round one round Muay Thai and one round MMA so that should be fun uh, Gary Tonin is back against Martin Wynn uh, Itsuki Hirata is taking on Ayamiura who had a very very uh, good and uh, underdog win against Mang Mo in her last fight brilliant there uh, Yuyu Wakamatsu and Danny Kenya are fighting for uh, maybe a title shot uh, in that division and also at the 115 pound division there's two fights as well Minua against uh, Gustavo Ballart the uh, Cuban Olympian 4 foot 11 fighter and then we we have Kieto Yamakita taking on Bukyang Mukisanya there as well in, in that division. So there's plenty of MMA next week. I'll have um, previews on both of them. For you know, what's the standout in those two cards for you, Ian? Which, which fight will you be most looking forward to next weekend than those two cards? Um, I'm looking forward to that Octagon card obviously you got a couple of the Irish guys on it as well uh, Matt Bonner moving over a couple of guys moving over from from the Cage Warriors ranks as well Jack Cartwright at the top you know with the madness of mixed martial arts it's hard to kind of take in these Octagon cards especially for me it's middle of the day on Saturday or early morning on Saturday and normally I'm trying to run a few errands and get some stuff done before I tuck in and, and watch the UFC on Saturday evening and Saturday night but uh, I'm going to try to check, check out this one Octagon have been putting on some fantastic cards and you know we have uh, a UFC free weekend but that doesn't mean that we don't have some other good action going on in other promotions and if, if it's a, a break from the UFC you're looking at I'd be le- definitely heading towards that Octagon card you're going to get a, a good atmosphere in Newcastle and some cu- a couple of good fights and a couple of Irish fighters too as well and um, I don't know whether you're thinking about wrapping it up but um, we, we must give a shout out Auburn to Omri and Siobhan yeah. great comeback wasn't yeah. it Brilliant, brilliant, showed Grey heart. And, you know, you can go in there, Shawnee, and we've seen the level of skills that Omran possesses inside it, but heart, uh, determination, you know, you can't teach that kind of stuff. You find that stuff out about yourself throughout your career, and, and Omran had his, has it in abundance. And look, at a great win for him, great win for Team KF, and there's some big, big things 
coming for Omran Shaban, in my opinion, in his career. This win is only going to be the start of it. And and like I said, we'll get in in-depth detail, I guess, on that fight on the old triangle coming up in, in the next week or so. If you're Omran Shaban now as well, you probably put yourself as one of the leading lights to get signed. Let, let's say if there is a big PFL Bellator card coming or if the UFC are coming back, like, you know, obviously Paul Hughes is, is number one. We would, we would all agree with that. And Danny McCormack is very much up there as well. But Amran has definitely put himself um, up there. And, I was like, and do you know what as well? It's great. I'm delighted for Team Kef because they didn't have the best of years last year. You know, a lot of their top fighters either didn't get a lot of fights like Amran himself or ended up losing some of their fights. And uh, I, I think it was the podcast, I, know if it was, I think it was the podcast myself and Andy did. I was saying like one of my wishes for this year would be like the first five fights of the year for Team KF, the first five big fights, they boom, win, 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 win. And uh, they've gone off here with a very, very good start and a lovely finish as well uh, in that round. So, uh, you know, the, uh, I think it was um, yeah. Rebecca Hitman put up the cornering of Chris Fields as well. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was that was great stuff. So great to see uh, Armand get the... When, you, when, you're, when, you, when you're looking at a Team KF fighter and you can hear Chris being animated in the corner you almost feel that you're there and you're a part of the fight itself yeah. it's kind of we've, we've, we've kind of grew yeah it's got you you're you're living and you're dying through the fight with him because i know that that's exactly what's going on through his head in the corner and look at it, it's brilliant to see it's the success of, of omran team kf and, and all the lads there and like we, we said it at the the end of the year kind of show i expect a big year for team kf this year um and and fair play to everybody involved and fair play to omran look at it was a big it was a big move and a big judgment call shawnee to move away from cage warriors to go over to uae warriors where fighters aren't always favorably matched and that was a really tight for Omran Shaban and he 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 passed it and he's the champ now and whether he defends it or what's next for him is very very exciting and fair play to him and congratulations to everybody 100% without a shadow of a doubt um, the only other thing from last weekend to touch on was uh, KSW uh, one of their big heavyweight prospects uh, Arek Varshek uh, he's only four now now but he's a former glory kickboxer he beat Badr Harry in glory um, he moved to four now in fact in the heavyweight division here so I'm, I'm telling you I, I I think he could be in there with Phil DeFries this year I, I know he's only four now but still I think they're going to move him quickly he looks really good I'll tell you what, in the co-main event, uh, uh, Leyad Zaruni beat Bartosz Fabinski. And if people are thinking, oh, where do I know that name, uh, Zaruni? Uh, my my guy, Norbert Navigny Jr., beat him. And he went in there and beat Fabinski and knocked him out in 12 seconds. I'll tell you, that'll tell you how good um, that, uh, that Norbert Navigny is. But uh, there was a couple of upsets in this card. Uh, um, Adam Saldiv beat uh, Damian Stasiak. I actually predicted that one coming in. Um, so you know, two big wins there for the, in the comment of it. The one below, it, I, I think. Um, actually, Vorshek was was the underdog as well. I gave him as one of my bets. Of, or, oh no, he was just a slight favorite. Sorry, but um, very good win for him there as well. Um, so yeah, the, the rest of the card, uh, Gino Van Steenis lost. I, I thought he would have got the win. Um, but yeah, so a good card there, and, a lot, and and another few good cards coming up for KSW this year. All right, we've talked enough. We leave it there. If you aren't following Ian, follow him over on Twitter at IonielMMA. 
If you aren't listening to the Old Triangle, please do listen to it. They did a great interview with Danny McCormick. She was giving out to me on it uh, last week. They had uh, Connor McCarthy on as well. And um, who's the other guest? Emer, the, 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 the unofficial uh, Irish female amateur of the year you had on as well, didn't you? And, and That's it. We had to give Emer her that Darcy. moniker when yeah. she came on. And yeah, Emer Darcy making her professional debut uh, at the next Cage Warriors event in Dublin. Definitely one to watch there. She uh, She's a really good fighter coming up on the scene. So so yeah, lots of lots of good Irish talent to talk about. We'll be talking to as many as we can throughout the year. Indeed. Well, Sean Sheehan still hasn't got the fucking invite. That's all. Well, what better Irish talent than me is out there? Like, let's be honest. There you go. Mm-hmm. You I thought you, when you were going to talk about how to be a superstar there uh, on Speaker's Corner coming up, that you'll have uh, full. What did John? What did John Annie call you? Uh, number one mastermind Mas- in, no, in ma- judging, master of sport in scoring criteria or something <laughs> I don't know whether you're still here or whether you're listening John Anik but come on less of that now you'll I'll give that it. man a big head I, uh, <laughs> give me a big head <laughs> Again, a, a bigger head, head I should say. <laughs> it's impossible I won't fit through the door it's already hard enough anyway we'll <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it there lads thanks everyone for tuning in uh, if you haven't signed up on Patreon please do patreon.com forward slash severe man podcast help us keep the lights on it'll be absolutely fantastic from me Shawnee from Ian that was the severe man podcast and we'll see you all next time good luck <laughs>